This episode of First Line is sponsored by TrueLearn. TrueLearn is an exam prep company best known for their smart banks that turn your weak areas into your strengths. I decided to partner with TrueLearn because it is the only company I trusted for preparation for Comlex Level 1 and Level 2. Each TrueLearn SmartBank practice question has detailed answer explanations and succinct bottom lines to get the big learning takeaway. For my listeners taking the USMLE, TrueLearn also has an amazing USMLE SmartBank. If you are in your third year, TrueLearn also offers SmartBanks for shelf exams and Comat shelf exams. Go to truelearn.com and use one of my special discount codes for up to $35 off your subscription. Special discount codes can be found in the episode description. Welcome to First Line. My name is Aubrey Ann Jackson, and I am a student doctor in my last year of medical school. First Line brings listeners of all backgrounds together to discuss whole body health and wellness through an osteopathic lens. First Line covers tangible ways to improve your health, how to succeed in medical school, and various topics in healthcare, including mental health, all while holistically addressing the whole person, body, mind, and spirit. First Line is hosted by Anchor. First Line can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Stitcher, Amazon and Audible, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Castro, Player FM, Podbean, TuneIn, Reason, and iHeartRadio. Hello everyone, welcome again to First Line. This week I want to talk about different types of therapy that are options within the branch of psychotherapy. I hear a lot about people saying, oh, I go to therapy, I see a therapist, or I see a counselor, and it makes it seem like therapy always looks the same. And of course, it kind of looks similar where you go to some sort of office and you sit down with one person and you talk to them. But the exact type of therapy that is being used can be very different depending on what your needs are. So I wanted to go over a little bit of the specifics of some of the most common types of psychotherapy that is being used. And psychotherapy really just means what you probably usually think of when you hear the word therapy and that's just to differentiate it from physical therapy or occupational therapy or speech therapy just be clear we're talking about psychotherapy which is therapy that is for your mental health for stress management for um, dealing with internal conflicts or even interpersonal conflicts So the first one I want to talk about is called supportive psychotherapy, and this might be what you usually think of when you hear therapy. This is often referred to as counseling, and it is based off of creating a therapeutic alliance with your counselor or your therapist to be on the same page, 
and it focuses on identifying different behavioral patterns that might not actually be helpful behavioral patterns and they could be behavioral patterns that then affect interpersonal relationships and could cause problems and supportive therapy really just aims to help you improve on your behaviors and also your negative thinking as well as improper coping mechanisms and improper approach to stressors and different challenges in your life. And supportive therapy can last from from a few days to years of supportive therapy. And usually Supportive therapy is used on a weekly basis, but this is very flexible. Some some people after they, they start out going on a weekly basis might think that they will still have pretty good progress if they decrease their frequency to only going monthly. But it really is determined by how much help you need and how much follow-up you need and how consistent you need to have this type of therapy. And there could also be additional life stressors that come up that maybe if you were getting therapy monthly, then maybe during that stressor, you would actually want to increase the frequency to going weekly. And supportive psychotherapy is especially helpful with people that are dealing with crisis or a problem that is transient Supportive therapy isn't necessarily something that you would need your whole life, but maybe just while you're going through a crisis or needing some coping skills. Also, it really helps with people that have depression, as well as anyone with an anxiety disorder. So that can include generalized anxiety. It can include OCD. It can include different phobias like agoraphobia panic attacks, things like that, supportive therapy can be very helpful with. Another type of therapy is called cognitive therapy, and this is therapy through cognitive restructuring, which refers to assisting you with changing ways of thinking that may be dysfunctional. So, Focusing on automatic thoughts that could include negative views about yourself or about the world or about the future. And then the therapist will use guided questioning to dispute and challenge those negative distortions of what is actually true. And this really allows you to realize that some of the thoughts that you have are actually irrational and actually maladaptive. And this approach also utilizes the method of journaling, uh, using writing exercises to reflect and be a little bit more introspective and think more about the thoughts that you had consciously. So consciously thinking about and sorting through some of your unconscious thoughts and finding new ways to express your thoughts as well as your feelings. And this this is done in a way so that you can gain more insight into what you're actually thinking and what you're actually feeling. Cognitive therapy approach focuses on identifying these negative thoughts and then 
aims to improve your awareness of these thoughts and also your emotions. And this is especially useful in similar patients as supportive therapy. So depression as well as anxiety disorders that could include OCD. This can help with eating disorders where some of those negative thoughts have to do with things like body image or control as well as paranoid personality disorder. And I encourage you to listen to my previous episode on personality disorders. I did have one where I specifically talked about paranoid personality disorder. And that's a personality disorder that revolves around these negative thoughts about having distrust with others. So people with that personality disorder do really benefit from cognitive therapy. And then there's also behavioral therapy. And behavioral therapy focuses on this idea of conditioning. So both classical conditioning and operant conditioning. And you might remember learning about this at some point, about Pavlov's dog. And that's this idea of classical conditioning that um, it is learning that involves involuntary responses to certain stimuli. So there's the unconditioned stimulus, which with Pavlov's dog, it's the the smell of food is a stimulus that then leads to a natural unvoluntary response, which is the salivation for food. The sound of a bell was associated with the smell of food. So then when the dog heard the sound of the bell, the dog would salivate. So this very neutral stimulus of the sound of a bell became associated with a stimulus and caused the same natural response involuntarily. So that is now called a conditioned response. And Pavlov's dog is just used as an example. This actually happens a lot in ways that we we don't even think about, that we can have negative associations with things or we can have positive associations with things. Think about unhealthy coping mechanisms. Sometimes people are afraid of going into hospitals, for example. And it might be because they were in a hospital once and they felt a lot of pain while they were in the hospital. So now they avoid the hospital because it's associated with pain. And even certain smells can be associated with very bad situations or trauma um, in someone's life. So it can it can lead to these problems. And another type of conditioning is operant conditioning, which is learning that connects a stimulus with a reaction. So this is about reinforcement and punishment. So something something that is often used is this this theory of extinction which is unlearning of this type of behavior. And behavioral therapy can also utilize this technique of deconditioning uh, which can include desensitization which can include flooding which is especially helpful with different phobias so that's exposing a person to an 
anxiety and fear provoking stimulus, whatever they're afraid of, and exposing them until that feeling goes away. And a lot of times the therapist can coach them through this experience and teach this person to replace their fear with a sense of control and a sense of calm instead. Another technique that could be used is called implosion, which is similar to flooding, but it's just through the imagination. So it's consistently thinking about the anxiety-provoking stimulus until the fear is replaced. And part of this could also include aversion therapy, which involves pairing an unwanted behavior with almost a punishment. And this is helpful for addictions. So uh, using disulfiram for alcoholics is an example of this that usually isn't used anymore because it does make patients miserable. It is something that could be used. It's a medication that patients would take and then if they drink while taking that medication, it leads to nausea and vomiting. Another example of this is using a nail polish that doesn't taste very good and this can discourage nail biting. So behavioral therapy really does focus on helping you identify maladaptive behavior and reflect on that behavior and then also change that behavior. And it also might involve teaching you different alternatives to that maladaptive behavior. And this is especially helpful with phobias, with panic disorders, with PTSD, with people that avoid certain reminders of their trauma. It's helpful with OCD. It's helpful with bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, which I also have an episode speaking about borderline personality disorder. I encourage you to check that out. So you may have heard before about cognitive behavioral therapy, and the acronym for this is CBT. And CBT combines these two types of therapy that I just discussed, the cognitive therapy and the behavioral therapy. And so it uses some of the techniques that I described, like like cognitive restructuring and journaling and desensitization. And CBT can also focus on stress management in general. So CBT focuses on changing different beliefs, different attitudes and behavior patterns that could be harmful, irrational, or just ineffective. And CBT aims to help you identify which thoughts and which behavior patterns are actually unhelpful to you. And CBT is usually used for about 16 weeks. And CBT is helpful with a lot of the things that I've already described. It's helpful with trauma-related disorders, depression, anxiety, substance use, different phobias, eating disorders, and OCD. Another type of therapy I will discuss is motivational interviewing, 
which does not need to actually be done by a therapist or a counselor. It can be done by any physician. This was a technique that I learned how to do in medical school and that I had an assignment that I had to treat a patient with motivational interviewing in my third year of medical school. And it's it's a technique that I even use without without strictly making it a motivational interview session with a patient. I do incorporate some of the questions involved in motivational interviewing in my daily interactions with patients. So it really is a patient-centered approach. So it focuses on open communication uh, between the patient and the clinician, whether that's a doctor or a therapist. And it focuses on approaching a shared goal of alleviating whatever stress or mental health condition the patient is dealing with and uses shared decision making to come to the same conclusion and that's all guided by by the patient and the answers to different questions. And from the clinician's point of view, whether that's the doctor or the therapist, their role is to show empathy and support and to point out different discrepancies in what you're saying. So a lot of times it focuses on the discrepancies between your goal and what you want to do in the future versus the actions and the thoughts that you have currently and points out different discrepancies between them and different inaccuracies in what you're saying. Motivational interviewing uses uh, this technique of supporting the patient's self-efficacy to empower them to make different decisions and to to participate and set goals. And the clinician will use reflective listening to reflect on what the patient is saying and repeat back to them a summary to show understanding from the clinician's point of view and then to also perhaps draw out more information or different clarifications so, so that it's really like, journaling but journaling out loud and to another person so that they can bounce things back at you that make you think a little bit more and be able to elaborate on certain things and from a clinician's point of view they are not going to contradict anything. They're not going to argue with you about anything. They're not going to disagree, but they might ask additional questions to make you think a little bit and to bring out some of those discrepancies that you can then sort through as a team. And really motivational interviewing focuses on approaching a behavioral change. So asking questions about what would happen if no change was made? What would happen if this change was made? What barriers are there to the change? How motivated are you to make the change? How confident are you that you could make that change? Why do you think you're confident about making that change? 
and things like that. So it it really does aim to resolve ambivalence about changing behavior. This is really good for people with substance use that are at at a contemplation stage about giving up alcohol or quitting smoking cigarettes or people that are trying to lose weight. This really seeks to motivate the patient into having a little bit more confidence and getting at the root of why they want to do a behavior and what is actually preventing them from making the change. Motivational interviewing can also be helpful with depressive disorders, especially with patients that have a little bit of a lack of motivation and low self-esteem that might prevent them from seeking care and making changes in their life that could be helpful to them instead of falling into their usual patterns that actually reinforce their depression like staying at home and not reaching out to people, not asking for help. Then there's also group therapy. Group therapy focuses a lot on different supportive techniques, just providing counseling. Group therapy can also use some cognitive techniques to get at the root of negative thoughts and feelings and how they reinforce our actions. And then also group therapy can focus on psychoeducation, which is based off of counseling about uh, symptoms and different treatments for it and the prognosis for how treatment is expected to go. Um, And then the provision of different tools, so different coping mechanisms. And group therapy is unique in that it focuses on interactions between individuals and it also forms a support network for individuals that have similarities with what they are dealing with and what they are seeking help with. So one that comes to mind is AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, as well as NA, Narcotics Anonymous, are very popular group therapy but there could be a support group for a variety of diagnoses not even limited to mental health conditions or it could just be group therapy for people that have a a diversity of different conditions that really just need to um, talk in a group setting about different coping mechanisms and getting that psychoeducation. And group therapy can especially, like I said, be helpful with substance use, but it can also be used for people going through grief. And group therapy can be helpful with personality disorders too. And going along with involving multiple people, family therapy is sometimes used. So very similar with psychoeducation, Um, and using cognitive behavioral techniques. And family therapy also has added dynamics, so addressing different boundary issues can be helpful too. And it really focuses on the family unit and the dysfunctions that go on at the family level and the problems that individuals have that, that affect the entire family. And family therapy aims to... Uh, identify and hopefully resolve some of that conflict. 
family therapy can be helpful when someone in the family has a diagnosis of schizophrenia because that can really affect a whole family unit. Eating disorders is another great example of that. That really takes everyone working together on the same page to help that person suffering from an eating disorder. Even depression can be something that could really help to do family therapy, especially if some of the exacerbations of depression has to do with a relationship. And then with grief, family therapy can also be helpful um, if several members of the family are, are grieving and having a tough time and having to sort that out. And having the opportunity to sort that out together can be really effective. And couples therapy, pretty similar. It focuses on improving communication as well as identifying and resolving conflict. And then sexual disorders are also popular uh, use of couples therapy in order to uh, work out different self-esteem issues, uh, psychogenic causes of, of erectile dysfunction, or different communication conflicts that then translate into their sex life. So there's there's a lot of opportunity there as well. And this can last a few weeks or a few years as needed. So I hope that this was helpful going through some of these types of therapies. I certainly did not go over all of them, but I hope to discuss these further in an upcoming episode and perhaps give a little bit more insight into which therapies might be better with certain diagnoses and how to tell uh, which type of therapy might be right for you. Let me know that you like First Line. If you are listening on Spotify, tap the star to rate the show. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and tap to rate or write a review. Thank you so much for your support. You can follow First Line on Instagram at First Line Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash First Line Podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode every Monday.